Hi, I'm Nir Ayal, and this is the Near and Far podcast. This podcast is about business, behavior, and the brain. On this show, I do a few things. I read quick articles I've written about topics shaping your behavior. I interview authors of books I enjoy, and from time to time, I devote episodes to answering your questions. If you want to ask me a question, visit the podcast page on iTunes, go to ratings and reviews, and ask me a question by leaving a review. I promise to read it and possibly include your question in a future episode, so please, ask me anything. Now, enjoy the episode, and for more, you can always visit me at nearandfar.com. This podcast is brought to you by x.ai. You know, a lot of times when you listen to a podcast, the host will recommend a product because they're the sponsors, and that's as simple as that. Well, I want to tell you about a product that I actually use. I've used it for about a a year and a half now. It's called x.ai. X.ai is an artificial intelligence virtual assistant that will schedule your meetings for you. So every time I schedule a meeting, I don't play the email ping pong game back and forth. All I have to do is CC my virtual assistant at X.ai with a simple email address and the artificial intelligence will take care of the rest. It's a great product, highly recommend it. And right now you can get one month free by going to X.ai backslash near and far. And you want to enter in the discount code near and far. Now remember, near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R. Check that out at x.ai backslash near and far. Can't kick a bad habit? You're probably doing it wrong. By Near Ayal and narrated by Near Ayal. I had just finished giving a speech on building habits when a woman in the audience exclaimed, you teach how to create habits, but that's not my problem. I'm fat. The frustration in her voice echoed throughout the room. My problem is stopping bad habits. That's why I'm fat. But where does that leave me, she said. I deeply sympathize with the woman. I told her I was once clinically obese. She stared at my lanky frame and waited for me to explain. How did I hack my habits? One size doesn't fit all. The first step is to realize that starting a new routine is very different from breaking an existing habit. There are different techniques to use depending on the behavior you intend to modify. For example, creating a habit requires encoding a new set of automatic behaviors, while breaking a habit requires a different set of processes. The brain learns causal relationships between triggers that prompt an action and the associated outcome. If you'd like to get into the habit of taking a vitamin every day, for example, the key is to place the pills somewhere in the path of your normal routine, say next to your toothbrush, so you remember to take it each morning before you brush. Doing so daily acts as a reminder until, over time, the behavior becomes something done with little or no conscious thought. However, breaking an existing habit is an entirely different story, and the distinction is something many people mischaracterize. For example, Charles Duhigg, author of The Power of Habit, describes a bad cookie-eating habit that added 8 pounds to his waistline. Every day, Duhigg says, he found himself going to the 14th floor of his office building to buy a cookie. When he began to analyze this habit, Duhigg discovered that the real reward for his behavior was not the cookie itself, but the socializing he enjoyed while nom-nom-nomming with co-workers. Once Duhigg figured out that the reward was connecting with friends, he could get rid of the cookie-eating habit by substituting one routine for another, and voila! Duhigg echoes the popular belief that the key to breaking a bad habit is replacing it with another habit. I'm not so sure. Maybe replacing cookies with coworkers did it for Duhigg, but what if you're the kind of person like me that loves the hell out of cookies? I was obese precisely because, among many other delicious things, I love cookies, and for no other reason than the fact that they taste amazing. 
For me, ooey gooey chocolate chewy beats chatting it up with Mel from accounting every time. Where does that leave me? The woman in the audience wanted to know. Having struggled with my own weight for years, there was no way I was going to look her in the face and tell her she should chat it up with a coworker the next time she has a sugar craving. Not going to happen. Progressive extremism. When it comes to gaining control over bad habits, like eating food we know isn't good for us, I shared with her the only thing that has worked for me. I call it progressive extremism, and it works particularly well in situations in which substituting one habit for another just won't do. Before diving into the method I use to transform my habits, follow me back about 20 years. I was once a vegetarian. As anyone who has made a dramatic shift in diet knows, friends always ask, Don't you miss meat? I mean, it tastes so good. Well, of course I miss meat. However, when I began calling myself a vegetarian, somehow what was once appetizing suddenly became something else. The things I once loved to eat were now inedible because I changed how I defined myself. I was a vegetarian, and vegetarians don't eat meat. Saying no to eating animals was no longer difficult. It was no longer a struggle. It was something I just did not do, much in the same way I'd imagine a Hasidic Jew does not eat pork or an observant Muslim does not drink alcohol. They just don't. Identity helps us make otherwise difficult choices by offloading willpower. Our choices become what we do because of who we are. Don't versus can't. Research reveals why looking at our behaviors this way can have a profound impact. A study published in the Journal of Consumer Research tested the words people use when confronting temptation. During the experiment, one group was instructed to use the word I can't while the other used I don't when considering unhealthy food choices. Then the real experiment began. When people finished the study, they were offered either a chocolate bar or a granola bar to thank them for their time. Unbeknownst to participants, the researchers were measuring whether they would take the relatively healthy or unhealthy choice. While 39% of people who used the words I can't chose the granola, 64% of those in the I don't group picked it over chocolate. The study authors believe saying I don't rather than I can't provides greater, quote, psychological empowerment. I was meat-free for about five years, and during that time, restricting certain foods was not that difficult because it was consistent with how I saw myself. I don't eat meat was tied to my identity as a vegetarian. If not eating meat was easy when it was something I just didn't do, why couldn't the same technique be used to stop other unhealthy habits? It turns out it most certainly can. Here's how it works. First, a disclaimer. This technique only works for triggers that can be removed from our environment. For instance, this doesn't work for quitting the nail-biting habit unless you're looking to dispose of some digits. Start by identifying the behavior you want to stop. For example, say you'd like to stop eating processed sugar. Taken all at once, cutting out the sweet stuff is just too big of a goal for most people to quit cold turkey. Instead, think of just one specific food you'd like to cut from your diet. However, and here's the important part, it needs to be something you're willing to give up forever. Overwhelming research reveals diets don't work because they are temporary fixes. If you imagine you'll get to eat goobers someday when you're thinner, this technique won't work. Temporary diets do nothing but train the brain to binge eat. To become part of your identity, the commitment needs to be forever, just as vegetarians believe they'll eat the same way for the rest of their life. It's who they are. The mistake most people make is they bite off more than they can chew. Excuse the pun. 
The key is to only remove the things from your diet you won't really miss. For example, do you like candy corn? I sure don't. As a kid, the stuff was always the dregs of my Halloween haul. For me, removing candy corn for life was no big deal, so it was the first thing on my list. I don't eat candy corn, and I never will. Done. Next, write down what you no longer eat and the date you gave it up for good. Writing this down marks the shift from a temporary can't to a permanent don't. Remember, the things you give up have to be easy enough for you to give them up for the rest of your life. The next step is to wait. This method takes time. When you're ready, reevaluate what else you can do. Find another trigger to remove that meets the criteria of something you can give up for life that you won't really miss. For me, I decided to never have sugary carbonated drinks at home. I could still have them elsewhere, just not inside the house. Easy peasy. If the commitment feels like too much, you're doing too much. Each step needs to feel almost effortless. No big deal. Involves something you can be proud to give up forever. For example, when I wanted to stop a bad habit of mindlessly surfing the internet and reduce the online distractions in my life, I didn't quit the web entirely. I quit one simple thing I wouldn't miss and intend not to do for the rest of my life. I don't read articles on my web browser during working hours, ever. Instead, every time I see something that looks interesting, I use an app called Pocket to save it later. The process of unwinding bad habits takes years, but progressive extremism is an effective way I found to stop behaviors that weren't serving me. Occasionally, I look at an unhealthy thing that no longer controls me the way they once did, and if I feel up to it, I find new bad habits to slay. By slowly ratcheting up what you don't do, you invest in a new identity through your record of successfully dropping bad habits from your life. It may start small, but over time, it adds up to a whole new you. Here's the gist. The process for stopping bad habits is fundamentally different from forming new ones. Existing behaviors etch a neural circuitry that makes unlearning an association between an action and a reward extremely difficult. Whereas learning new habits follows a slow progression, stopping old behavioral tendencies requires a different approach. A process I call progressive extremism utilizes what we know about the psychology of identity to help stop behaviors we don't want. Finally, by classifying specific behaviors as things you will never do again, you put certain actions into the realm of I don't versus I can't. If you like this essay, please visit nearandfar.com. That's spelled N-I-R and far.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Near and Far podcast. You can always find more at my blog, nearandfar.com. And don't forget, if you have a question you'd like me to explore in a future episode, leave me your question in the form of a review for the podcast on iTunes.